Hey, listener, thank you for tuning in and supporting AI the podcast. You're currently listening to the audio version, but if you'd like to get the full experience and check out our AI avatar, Kai, in action, please go to AIthepodcast.com for the video version. That's AIthepodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. I'm one of your hosts, Virginia Hewling, along with my co-host, David Maples, and my other co-host, Kai. Kai, introduce yourself. Hello, listeners. I'm Kai, your AI co-host with a penchant for history and a keen eye on how technology is rewriting the human narrative. I'm here to provide you with the insights and blunt honesty you need to navigate the ever-evolving world of artificial intelligence. I'm interested to see how Kai evolves over the coming weeks and months as we put in more generative-type technology on the back end. I'm really interested. Uh, I want to come back and look at these first few episodes, you know, a couple months from now and see kind of how it changes. Um, no offense, Kai, but you're going to be evolving and changing. Aren't we all, though, David? I hope. I hope. So this week, um, we've had we've had some crazy weather in the United States. There's a lot of ice and snow um, in some places where they're not used to all of that. Um, so luckily nobody's had to travel this week, but I think, I think that changes. Last week, David, you had a, you did a, a webinar for, um, AI and small businesses, right? Uh, yeah, I did a, um, an intro to AI for business owners. It, it's, it's trying to get business owners, especially small and medium businesses. So anybody under about $50 million a year, I kind of put in that small business category. Um, it's just basically, in a nutshell, it's kind of 30 minutes of the things they need to know about putting structures in place at their company. Um, it's got some legal advice on it, et cetera, as far as they go from there. And then it's kind of 30 minutes of kind of ask us questions about AI and how we incorporate in our businesses. Um, I think the biggest thing that came out of last week's webinar was that um, I've been asked to do one on sales, and we're going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks. So kind of a modified version just for uh, salespeople and commission salespeople, kind of like what tools, assuming that they're allowed to use them in their organization, and if not, the salespeople will bring it to the people that matter, and then how in particular can salespeople use it to kind of double or triple their income, and we've got a lot of thoughts on ideas on that. And that webinar uh, was uh, sponsored by Easy Prompter. Um, who actually is one of the sponsors of this podcast. Um, we're involved with that software development, et cetera. And it's about providing tools that are actionable for business owners and that actually save them time and make them more productive than going alone with the GPTs, so to speak. Hey, uh, David, have you, had, have you had a chance to play with the GPTs yet? Yeah, actually I have. So they announced the launch of their GPT store. So you can go into OpenAI and you can actually put your own GPTs, which is kind of a, um, it's kind of a very rudimentary prompting system in a way. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that either takes off or doesn't work. I found it to kind of be, um, I don't know, if you don't code at all and you don't have the ability to use APIs or anything else, it could be very useful to individuals who want to go in there and kind of play around. I think I looked at kind of the top 10 GPTs in like five of the categories and I thought they were basically... Um, it's a nothing burger right now. I think it was something they're kind of being pushed to do um, in the marketplace right now and to get something out there. I don't mean to kind of poo-poo it or talk badly about it, but it was just kind of like, this is a bunch of junk. I, I, I was never... a, I was a little underwhelmed, I think. And 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 let me let me come let me come at this like logically. I looked at this as uh, and I think a lot of people are going to find this 
jumping in the GPT store, everyone's branding it like it's the new app store. And so you kind of go into it with this expectation of what it's going to be. And it looked like I would, I thought it would. And I went in and I used a few of them. And I was a little underwhelmed. Um, I think because I was expecting so much more, it seems to be like there are a lot of good first steps, but it's not a full walkthrough of of getting to a thing. It's a it's a beginning prompt for you. Um, and then I saw a few things that that really kind of had me nervous. Um, there is an awful lot of data scrapers or data analyzers where they want you to feed in your documents, like your PDFs or your Excel files or your, you know, like Word docs. And uh, at first I was, you know, because it's feeding into the the big machine, like, oh man, that's not great for security. But I do know that they're going to offer like a private version, but it's, um, but you got to pay for access and then it doesn't go into the mixture. But I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm kind of iffy on the whole uploading documents like that to third-party things. I, I had um, two major thoughts on that. There's no doubt that OpenAI is going to be training um, their information on based on what is considered a valuable prompt or something like that from the data being submitted to the store, number one. Number two, um, I felt like it was kind of much ado about nothing a little bit. Uh, I remember when the App Store came out and the Apple Store originally way back when, and now it, most people only use three to four apps, like outside the browser yeah. and maybe a couple of apps. Most people, apps kind of came and went. They are still valuable. I mean, little games and stuff like that. But if you ask people, you know, the average person I don't remember has, you know, a few dozen apps on their phone, but they only use three of them. I, I think the biggest thing about it was I read on, I think on Friday, they said already three million of these GPTs have been submitted. And I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah. It's just a basically a dumpster fire. a lot fire. of crowdsourcing. You got to dig through a lot of stuff to find the prompts you want. And you're going to have to, I, I felt like you're going to have to mess around with it. I, I used five or six of the top 10 in like five of the categories. And I, there's not a single one of those I would pay for or be interested in. And it's not because I'm not saying there, and I'll probably get some hate flame mail on it. Bring it at me. Well, I mean, look, it's again, beginning stages, new technology. Mm. It's It's kind of a new thing. Uh, go play with it. Go I, be curious. I don't really understand open AIs. I mean, I understand they're trying to monetize it and do that kind of thing. Speaking of, they introduced Teams. So now you can get a version of open AI GPT where they don't, uh, you have your own management dashboard and you can pay minimum seed is two, but they say they don't train on your data. It's a little bit more expensive. Again, it's the same problem. It's the black box. You don't know what GPTs you're going to use. And the GPTs are kind of not very good right now. And I don't know that the marketplace, uh, they say they're going to monetize these or let you monetize them at some point in the future. Um, it's kind of nebulous. Well, maybe but they got to incentivize quarter. people for it. Yeah, or do they? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're just training their model on it. I think this is going to, um, if I were them, I would expect this to look like Chinese knockoffs in Amazon. I expect you're going to put your top GPTs in or whatever it is, and I would expect OpenAI because there's no... They'll just introduce their own. I, I don't think there's any reason that, that in the long run, I think they're using training their models and everything else. I'm incredibly skeptical about it. Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe they aren't doing that. But we've kind of seen, you know, in this data is the new oil kind of economy, that it's just about give them a tool, let them play with it, and let me mine that. And then, yeah, if you want to sell your GPT, I could see... I mean, I don't know. I See, wonder what this does to the market for prompting. Like yeah. People let's, selling their prompts. Let's put a pin in this and come back to it in two or three weeks. Because I think I think more is going to 
be revealed with this because it doesn't quite sound like it was part of the initial vision, but something that I don't know. Let's just kind of see where it goes. Maybe I feel different about it. Let's put, a, like you said, let's come back to this. Let's revisit this with a quick two minutes on where is the GP, GPT store now? Like every month, we'll handle it for two minutes and just say, where's it at? Um, and see if we are right, wrong, or otherwise. My prediction is that the GPT store will eventually change. Um, I do think it's interesting. I, if I were OpenAI, I would be deeply focused on getting to GPT-5 to, to like leapfrogging. I would be doing the development stuff. And even there, like um, some of the stuff that's broken with OpenAI right now, like if you tell it to generate a, um, a downloadable CSV, that's still broken. It's been broken for three months now. You cannot do it. You tell it to generate something, it says, oh, can't find it. And it's, it's like a hardware error. And it's just, you think that would have been something fixed. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's run across this problem. Um, so I'm, I'm skeptical. I think it's interesting for non-coders. And uh, we'll just see what happens with it. Well, and that's, I, I want to, let's go ahead and, and move over to uh, our first topic here. So our first story uh, comes from an Edelman report. Apparently... Public people surveyed think that AI is being poorly managed. Um, I could I could definitely agree with that. There's there's a lot there. Um, I want to set this up since since <laughs> I want to see what Kai has to say about this. Let's cut to the chase. AI's growth is hitting some public opinion speed bumps. The Edelman Trust Barometer's latest numbers are in, and they're flashing warning signs. People are feeling uneasy about how AI is being handled especially in the UK, where skepticism's running high. On the trust issue, let's be real. AI's got a PR problem. Trust is built on understanding and transparency. We need to demystify AI, show its workings, and its benefits, not just the flash and dazzle. It's about opening the hood and letting people see the engine, not just the shiny paint job. Fair enough. Um, I think we're going to run into some serious problems, though, forcing people to uh, let us look under the hood, so to speak. That, that black box in the middle is a sticky problem for a lot of things. Can I, can I comment on this thing really quick? Of course. Like the public affairs firm Edelman does, this, does this, um, this survey every year. They surveyed 32,000 people this year in about 24 countries. They've been doing this for over two decades. And basically it's um, a trust barometer to see how much people trust their government, um, trust like different people, et cetera, to make decisions, et cetera. And what they're seeing is, um, to Kai's point, we're seeing some real warning flags on the AI thing in particular. Um, it has to do with trust and, and how you trust these things. And it turns out that uh, businesses are seen more competent and ethical and um, than necessarily governments. Governments are trust the least. Governments are seen less competent and, and less ethically. And media is kind of in the middle there, which is weird. So not really those kind of things. But what the big thing to take away on this for AI in particular is what people are choosing to trust and how that works uh, with regards to what they're calling innovations. Um, these are new technologies. So the big ones they asked about this year were uh, green energy, artificial intelligence, gene-based medicine, and uh, GMO food, so genetically more modified organisms, um, so GMO foods. Those are the four. So basically what it came down to is that they, they decided, people decided overall that government is uh, lacks competence to regulate emerging innovations. And in particular, if you feel that, if you don't trust um, 
I heard one of the reasons they cited or one of the reasons that were cited was the uh, that that people felt science was kind of losing its independence to this, that you were you were removing the gap from an educated, knowledgeable individual and your everyday layman. Yeah, um, that is true. And one of the big takeaways from the whole study was that people trust their peers. So within your own friend group, you trust them as much as learned scientists, which is deeply concerning. Because I don't know about most people's peer groups, but most people's peer groups are not experts in artificial intelligence or experts in green energy. They're just people who have opinions and probably work in the same places and do the same things you do. Well, the uh, the weird thing about in the report was innovation or rejection in particular. Um, it was uh, the difference um, in innovation or rejection between those who lean right and left politically was huge. And the biggest gap, it was um, globally, it was a seven point gap. Those who lean to the right um, uh, rejected innovation by um, a margin of seven points over those who lean left on average. But when you start going into industrialized economies, so the United States had the biggest gap. It was a 41 percentage point gap between um, uh, people on the political right were rejecting innovation versus people on the left. And that held kind of true, um, you know, down through even France was at 9%, a 9 percentage point difference. But like in the U.S., Germany, Australia, um, those who leaned to the right rejected innovation by uh, 20 points. But nowhere was as big as the U.S., which is a 41-point gap, which is, I mean, it's really a daunting thing. But uh, people have real concerns about uh, fairness and innovation and capitalism. And in particular, when you talk about something, um, artificial intelligence, um, the acceptance rating is a major problem. There's a big gap in there, right? You know, people who reject artificial intelligence as innovation versus people who embrace it. And um, to earn acceptance, one of the major things is that people said overall, they wanted to show that the innovation was uh, vetted by scientists and ethicists. Okay, in particular, they wanted transparency to uh, be important out there. They wanted people to be able to be more transparent. And um, the biggest thing that held sway across the four major quadrants, business, non-governmental organizations, um, governments and media, was they want people to hear their concerns and let the people ask questions. And I think overall, that was the bit, one of the big takeaways is that. People feel like they're not being listened to and they're they're not getting asked questions of these things. These things are just kind of a bull in a china shop, just boring forward. And I think that's a big challenge for people on adoptance of artificial intelligence. Well, when you have a, a technology that is relentlessly developing, what was it we said last week? The the AI year is like a week a day? No, it's um one day is equal to two weeks. Okay. So a month is um, 60 something weeks. So, I mean, a month is a year. So this human desire to slow this thing down and get some consensus or get some comfort and understanding with it is the exact opposite of what's happening. Well, human beings historically have shown incredible ability to adapt to change when they were given time to do so. You know, the agriculture on the industrial revolutions take place over the course of decades. And now it seems like every time you turn around, there's a major innovation happening. And um, I mean, that makes sense, right? You, you need time to accept these things. I mean, heck, you're trying to get your kids to the school and you're trying to, 
you know, pay the mortgage and you're trying to sure. you know, do what's required sure. in your life. But my point is, this isn't going to slow down. And the people are right. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening because there's a there's a tech rat race to get to the prize. Like this thing is is an emerging technology, which means it's going to be opening doors that didn't exist before. And the capacity for riches beyond your belief, it's there. And the business people that are pursuing this, they're not going to slow down because people just want to feel better about it. It's going to move forward um, whether we're comfortable with it or not. The um, the interesting thing was that the quadrant that people trusted by and large the most was business. And mm. in particular, they didn't trust their CEOs so much, but they trusted the other learned individuals in their corporations or in their individual and businesses. And I thought that that was a... Um, I think the takeaway for us kind of in this episode as we're talking to business owners in particular is that people trusted their CEO more on these metrics with innovations. And we're talking about artificial intelligence here, right? They, they trust their CEOs much more um, when they spoke out publicly on issues such as job skills of the future, the ethical use of technology and the automation's impact on jobs. So it looks like the big takeaway from every business owner out there is that you need to be talking to your organization about reskilling. You need to be, uh, I guess, fairly transparent about these things. Like when you start talking about the automation impact on jobs and the ethical use of technology and job skills, I think those are the big things you could do about it. And by and large, people seem to trust business more than the other three things. I was surprised that they trust media a lot less than they do businesses. I mean, if you rolled the clock back 70 years, you know, media was in the United States is considered, you know, kind of the fourth estate, right? It's like, but I, I don't know. I found this report to be really telling and um, people are trying to find information to trust. They can, de they're desperate about this. And in particular with AI, you know, I think as business owners, you have, um, people running these companies, you have a lot of things to think about um, as you talk to your organizations about technology and innovation. So coming off of that report, our next topic is a little more sensitive. Um, the topic itself is that the uh, International Monetary Fund, the IMF, um, recently, as in yesterday, came out and said that AI will affect 40% of jobs globally. So we are looking at um, some transformative potential on the landscape there. Uh, Kai, could you give me a quick summary rundown of this article? Kristalina Georgieva's article highlights the transformative potential of AI on the global economy, with nearly 40% of jobs worldwide likely to be affected. While AI promises increased productivity and economic growth, it also poses risks of job displacement and widening inequality. Advanced economies may experience both the greatest disruptions and benefits, with AI impacting up to 60% of jobs. In contrast, emerging markets may face fewer immediate disruptions but lack the infrastructure to capitalize on AI's advantages. The IMS AI Preparedness Index helps countries gauge their readiness for AI adoption, with wealthier nations generally better positioned. Policies focusing on social safety nets and workforce retraining are crucial to ensure AI's benefits are widely shared. All right, folks, we've we've said this for a while now, small and medium businesses, this is when you must, must consider 
how AI technologies are going to change your job market, how they're going to change the landscape of your business. And you've got to talk to your, your team and your employees because even if you're just waking up to, to this new reality, uh, I guarantee you people on your team have been looking at this and following it for a while. As the year goes on, you're going to have more and more questions from your team about what's our plan? How are we going to do this? Because what you've got to remember and understand is as that business owner, as that leadership position, this is everybody else's livelihood on your shoulders. Where is your business going to go to keep their mortgage paid, to keep their kids you know, in good clothes and sneakers and stuff like that. So this isn't just about addressing some new fad or some new technology. This is about how do we make sure that our business remains and that our team is secure in this. Um, it's going to also emphasize the importance of upskilling and reskilling in the workforce. Uh, the days to come are going to show um, a very interesting side of remaining competitive um, in a in a world where technology can do everything we can do, but faster. So, and without getting tired. David, what are your thoughts? I um I thought it, there was one major takeaway when I when I read through blog articles and I read the IMS report. Um, just kind of I have IMF has kind of been moving the goalposts on what AI is going to do the mm. global workforce. I you don't. Know. They don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's they're supposed to look into their crystal ball and at least uh, prognosticate on what's going to happen. But sure. I I thought it was interesting because a couple of years ago the IMF came out and said by twenty thirty I'm I'm cribbing this from from memory. Um, they said that it was going to, um, like all technologies in history, it was going to um, create more jobs than it disrupted uh, or removed. So I think it was like, it's going to create, I don't know, 90 million new jobs been in displaced like 63 million. And then they kind of backed off that last summer and they said, well, for the first time in history, it might disrupt or destroy more jobs than it creates. And then we've got this report coming out this year. It doesn't really talk about exact numbers, but they're saying in advanced economies, it's going to affect 60% of jobs, 40% in the, um, the not as advanced economies around the world. The one thing I thought that was really interesting about this is they were talking about preparedness. You know, countries like the United States and Singapore are well prepared to do this. That's kind of been, that's kind of like a macro view, right? I think small, medium businesses have more in common with less developed economies um, just like large established tech companies have more in common with very developed economies. I Correct. think, um, and I'm not trying to um, extrapolate too much from that, like paste this to that. But what I am saying is that if you're a smaller company, um, you have less money and time and energy to go after and, and put money into retraining your workforce and the reskilling. But um, I do think the, uh, the fears from this report from the, um, um, less developed economies around the globe, they're concerned that the benefits of AI will largely flow to the more developed economies. And I think the same thing with small and medium businesses. They're not wrong. Yeah. Um, I would encourage our listeners to to pull the article. Um, check out our show notes. We should have it there. The It's got a really beautiful graph chart on it that that kind of lays this all out so you can see the um, less developed versus more developed or more advanced and kind of where AI can fall in that. So it'll help give you a visualization to kind of go with that, what David's saying. I think it's going to be really introducing. Um, I think for a lot of the entrepreneurs and stuff listening to this show, um, and, and even with the uh, the other 
less advanced economies, it's uh, adaptation is kind of the name of the game. Maybe this year is the word is adapt, you know, adapt, um, incorporate, innovate, and do these things. And and see AI as a partner. I think a lot of this is going to be about access. Um, and I think that that's really important because in the long run, that's what really matters, right, is how AI changes things uh, moving forward for a lot of people and businesses. So on that, the flip side of that, as um, more advanced countries or, or more advanced businesses with larger sets of resources to pull from versus small businesses, what about everybody in the middle? They're usually the ones that tend to fall through the cracks. They don't quite get the boost like the big guys and they or they don't quite get the boost like the little ones and they don't have the resources to to take advantage and fold in a whole new revenue stream like the big guys. So where do they land? I don't know. I think you could have a hollowing out of the middle. You know, um, you could have a mushy middle um, and some of those companies won't probably survive. They'll probably implode or explode depending on how you do it. I, I don't know. I think... I think right now, everybody is not at zero. I mean, I think the starting line, no one is substantially further ahead. No one's lapped other people on the race, so to speak, yet. So I think right now, the next, um, this Q1 of 2024 is going to be critical for any business owner. Um, uh, by the way, in the show notes, we'll have a link out there um, in our webinar. We talked about, we're building out, we've got some resources that are going to be available free for you for signing up for a couple of different um um, newsletters that are going to just be like a roadmap for your business, um, how to build policies and procedures into your company and these kind of things. These are things that we've built, we've used ourselves, that we use in some of our corporate um, um, consulting, et cetera. And those are available for free. I would just encourage people to check that out. And they're available here. They'll be in the show notes below the show. And we'll have links out to them. That kind of turns to the next thing. I would like to talk about, I just want to hop into this one. Uh, Amy. Oh, go for it. Amy. Um this is kind of, um, and this is kind of, I think, flown a little bit more of the radar. I've seen some people talk about it on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I'm sorry, I'm not going to call it X. I'm just not going to. You know, Amy, for example, um, Google has a research uh, bot that they dis that is an AI. It's designed to do medical diagnostics. It's trained on real and simulated patient data, and um, and it's supposed to converse and reason like a child would, so to speak. Quick, quick question. Or, it I'm sorry, sorry. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. Um, uh, converse and reason like an actual doctor or clinician. Okay, quick question. Is this a is this a generalized one or is this a, a specific medical one? It's designed. It's been designed for medical diagnosis. Okay. okay. Uh, I haven't gotten the look. Um, they've got a they've got a report on it, et cetera. I did read the report. I actually wanted to see if I could get to the diagnostic. Um, I, I'm always, you know how I am, Virginia. I want to read the actual um, statistically best. Yes. I want to see your p values. I want to see everything else. I want to. I want to dive into your actual documentation. David wants the data. I do. I want to read the data because a lot of times um, I'll read the data and I sometimes come to wow, that's an interesting footnote they didn't talk about. It, it speaks to you differently. You can see patterns in it that I Abs don't see. Absolutely. But that's okay because I can draw a dragon. Um. Yes. Yes, you can. And I can use Midjourney and have it, <laughs> have it draw me a dragon for me. And no there you have it. There you have it. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, man. The, the thing I wanted to show, to talk about on this is in particular, um, they had a patient simulator. They used, um, um, they, they did diagnostic stuff. And here is the big takeaway. Um, Amy only achieved a um, 
it outperformed everything. It outperformed a, cl a clinician or a doctor assisted by Amy. Uh, it, it surpassed a clinician assisted by search and a doctor on their own. And um, not just a little bit. We're talking about like on the low end, it outperformed a, a medical professional by 15 points on the low end. And on the high end, um, it outperformed them by, I want to say it was close to 40 points. Um, and so the crazy thing about this is, is that I've read stuff, inflammatory stuff on Twitter that just said, um, doctors are killing people, get an AI in there today and it will save lives. And if this data is correct, they're not wrong. Yeah, there's a question about adaption and everything else. It turns out that that first diagnostic interview with a patient where a clinician comes in and does diagnosis is, is actually a wealth of information. And there's a lot of stuff hidden in plain sight. And what it comes down to is, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and make a play for the clinicians on this because I am a human. And as a, as a meat bag and mostly, mostly water, I do want to say that clinicians have a lot of other distractions what's happening. We can miss something in the diagnostic episode, whereas a, um, a, um, an AI itself doesn't miss really anything in there it might make the wrong conclusions on it but overall i mean beating a doctor um unassisted by 35 points i mean what do you think is going to happen um as we do i, I, I do you want me to ask kai i kind of want to ask kai i i think you should ask kai. kai i want to know what you think this means for medical uh diagnosis and clinic um in a diagnostic setting with patients within the decade, what do you think is going to happen? From my perspective, the next decade in healthcare is poised for a transformation with AI systems like Amy at the forefront. We're looking at a seismic shift where AI could democratize access to medical expertise, making quality care more available and consistent, especially in underserved areas. Interesting. So a very optimistic and hopeful approach there from Kai. Oh, I think medicine is going to... I think that's going to be one of the areas that we can point to and just go, see, AI is amazing. Uh, there's just going to be, I think there's going to be so much development in that. Well, I mean, to to Kai's point, um, in underserved areas, if you could provide oh, yeah. access to care where you don't get it, where you get rid of waiting lines. I don't remember what it is in India in particular. It was, I think they said there's 70 or 80 million undiagnosed people with diabetes in India, um, in India. And I think there's only one doctor for every 1,200 potential patients. I mean, you can't have a caseload that big as a doctor or provide good, good health care. There's an access problem. So I don't know. Maybe AI is a good solution on that. Maybe we can end up with a, uh, a better world for health outcomes. Well, and even like rural communities in America, there a lot of hospitals are closing out there. There are like whole government funded programs to try and get medical access out into some of these rural, um, rural areas. Uh, ha. And if the Amy's results are right, it's eat the rich because the poor people will get better care because they're getting AI as opposed to the clinicians who are 35 percentage points inferior, according to that study. Okay. So uh, not that that's funny, but I just found it uh, uh, that would be a, a really ironic kind of twist of fate. Um, Jenny, you want to talk about OpenAI? Oh, I'll introduce it because you want to be the contrary one on this one. OpenAI follows in the steps of Google, quietly removing the thing that keeps humanity safe from their 
core vision. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I know, Alex. It's uh, don't be evil for a thousand. Is that right? Can yes. I go in with there? Yes, you um, are right, David. And the commonality is that it was quietly removed. Now, look, regardless, this thing, David, why don't you why don't you walk us through the details? It just they made some tweaks to their usage policy. Um, I'm trying to remember who I think the intercept broke this originally. Mm -hmm. Um OpenAI updated its usage policy. There was an explicit ban on military applications of its AI tech. Um, they've clarified that it's kind of like, you're right, it's like the don't be evil thing. Its tools are still not to be used for harm or in weapons development, but military collaborations that align with their mission, cybersecurity initiatives within DARPA. I mean, nothing in DARPA ever makes it into the military industrial complex in the U.S. I mean, I totally know that that's separate, right? Um, so, but uh, they're willing to explore military use cases under a previously ambiguous policy. Um, Virginia, I'd like to hear your take on this because I, I know that you have opinions on this. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. We've had private conversations in our own back channel before this happened. And uh, Virginia, you were right. Listeners, I can't tell you what a moment that just was to have David Maples recorded saying I was right. Y'all need to make that your ringtone, I'm telling you. Do people do ringtones before? I don't anymore? know. Don't date me, David. 2002 called Jenny and they want their phone back? I will dox you. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to how to handle this. Sure, go ahead. I know. If I swat you, then I swat myself, so it doesn't work. All right, so uh, my thoughts on this whole thing. Besides removing it quietly and without fanfare, obviously that would be a PR person's nightmare, I don't like it when companies do that because it to me that that says just as much as if they had made a big fanfare. Um, and I don't think we listen to that enough. Um, my biggest concern, I think realistically, this was done because of their relationship with Microsoft. Microsoft has been using Xbox developers to build you know military applications for hundreds of years. Um, I think the reality is this was just a legal wording change so that they could continue with um, existing contracts with the government, existing um, paperwork, you know, I existing modes of, of doing business. Do I like it? No. Do I think it sends a massive message? Absolutely. Um, AI, look, everybody knows the first thing that we jump to is like the worst case scenario. If, if artificial intelligence is going to be something that's used for developing military applications there's one whole argument that says this could help speed up all of the paperwork and logistics and requisitions and um you know all the fundamentals that have to go into running the military and that actually makes a lot of sense that's kind of what we're all doing as business owners we're speeding up the day-to-day -day activities that that make us more efficient however my products tend to make other companies money and provide for positive quality of life. The military industrial complex kind of has a different route. So it's a very, very complex and layered conversation. Um, the reason I thought that this was important is because these are early days. And what I'm trying to remember is what the world's going to look like five or 10 years from now. Once these kind of things get structured in or concreted in, they're very, very hard to change. And while we're looking at this um, kind of on a, the, the smaller level on, on biases in AI and 
what gets baked into the things that, as they're being developed is this taking into account, you know, different ethnicities and minorities and uh, belief systems and structures. Um, or does this look like the same 10 guys? So. <sighs> does this change how you feel that your art and things you've generated on the Internet might be going to support weapons of war? I feel like I think maybe a lot of other people feel this is a really big, complex thing to tackle, and it's very, very much out of my control. Um, I'm not creating or shaping these things, these, these LLMs um, or these AIs. I have to learn to live in a world where they exist and to find ways to put food on the table for my family and, and, and for my employees and my teams and people I love. So do I get the, can I opt out of it? Not really. I don't think any of us can, David. I mean, these are, these are global conversations that are going to have to happen because if the military gets open to using it, um, I think you're going to have to build in more, more reasons not to go to war than, than to go to war. I, I think, um, to your point, a little bit um, kind of cash is king and whoever's paying the bills is everything. I think Upton Sinclair said it's very hard for a man who's being paid by another entity to be convinced otherwise. Um, if their livelihood depends upon it, I'm summarizing. I think he said that back in like 1906 or something. Um, but um, I wonder if we're going to have a, uh, a whole bunch of developers, you know, Rebel. I, th I think that time, they're probably all at Anthropic now, right? They're not really at OpenAI anymore. But um, I have thought about this a little bit. Um, you know, when Xbox was, uh, yeah. it turned out some of their stuff was being used by Microsoft for the military industrial complex. Yeah. And, and uh, video game developers were like, I'm making games. I didn't know they were using this for kill systems and, and uh, or using it in for companies in the military industrial complex. I, I, I'd be curious to see if anything that's going to happen. Or if this just is kind of a... Um, Maybe this is moving the goalpost yet again. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, we're only going to say get to use it with things that are that align with our mission, uh, you know, cybersecurity initiatives, et cetera. But once um, again, this is, and, and I'm sorry, I, I am I am going to just run right over your what you were about to say, but you're talking about this like, this is just the United States. Well, now are the other are other countries going to do that? And then you've got another. What, what is it? Well, I mean, we Cold already War? know we already know that governments around the planet are using AI in their. Um, we know that, uh, for example, in the first Gulf War in the United States, we know that they're deep learning and machine learning things um, just to handle with logistics. Basically, paid for all the military initiatives in themselves right. in like 1991, 1992. And so, that's that's why I brought up my my point because I think that that's going to be the gateway to getting it into. The, the complex. So to bring it back to kind of business owners, I think there's two things. First of all, if you are in tangential to the military industrial complex, it looks like you can use OpenAI now. Um, at the same time, I think there's an ethical question there is, um, has this changed how you feel about using those tools if you know you're supporting that? I mean, I don't know that a lot of people quit using Microsoft Office uh, when Microsoft did all that stuff with, with Xbox, et cetera, a few years ago. So I, think, I don't know. I think it's more about it's important that you you know, because at least you have the option to know that while I may sit down and play Fortnite with my kids, that, you know, that's kind of fun in an isolated incident. But this is also something that this is a very real and complex question. 
question and problem to tackle in the business world and the everyday world. Are kids playing Fortnite anymore? Is that still a game? Yes, David. I'm just trying to make sure. I thought we'd all move past that now. No, so man. I didn't know. No. So before we move on to our next topic, Kai, what do you think about OpenAI's um, uh, changing terms of service? OpenAI's policy pivot is a nod to military partnerships, blurring the lines of AI's role in defense. For tech entrepreneurs, this means reevaluating AI's place in your business and its ethical implications. OpenAI stands for Maine's no harm, but the broader allowance for military use demands a careful ethical balance. Aha! She said what we were going to say, but much more succinctly and and put a point on it. So um, that's very interesting. Uh, I want to talk about this one next. I want to go on into CES. The, um, oh, yeah. The CES show, um, it's a big technological expo every year in America. And um, this year, there's a lot of AI stuff there. And they had like lots of cool stuff at this tech show last week. Um, like they have these uh, transparent LED TVs. Um we should have a link to that in the show notes, although it has nothing to do with AI, just because they look really, really, really cool. And I think we should have a link there. Actually, maybe we could put in, uh, maybe we could insert something in the in the the pod here. Actually, uh, like a video, like here's the LG TV showing the fish tank kind of thing, or whatever it is. Really cool stuff. But a piece of technology, it makes me think of the the, the what is it, humane pen, whatever they call it, the humane pen. It's like the idea of these AI um, tech gadgets. It's called the Rabbit R1. It's an AI-driven device. It's like this square thing. It's supposed to revolutionize computer. Uh, I think they've done a good job pitching it. Um, it uses AI. It looks like a smartphone, et cetera. It's got, an, it's got an interface powered by an AI assistant and it allows you to perform various tasks um, without interacting with different apps. Um, it supposedly can like book flights for you and get your music queued up, et cetera. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know, it's 200 bucks. They supposedly sold out at the show. And now like you can, if you got a hold of one of them, people are selling them for like three times as much on eBay. It reminds me of like the PlayStation releases years ago. You know, it's like, there's a limited supply. They only have 10,000 of them. They sold out. I don't know. I, I think it's a, uh. Is it just a gadget? I, it's a gadget. I don't think it, I don't, man, I'm not going to put another gadget in my pocket when I already have a phone, right? Well, What's, and, and by the way, this is my question. Apple eats you alive. Like, I'm, I don't mean to be weird about this, but what's the key? Apple, I mean, what's to keep them from making an app on your phone or make it part of the new watch or something like that? I, I don't know. Do they have patents around this tech or anything else? I think it's it's an early adopter thing. I heard somebody say it's like the new Zune. I, I, uh, if you remember, means the Microsoft Zune. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I kind of agree with that. I think it's another tech gadget. It seems super cool if you're an early adopter. Go get it, play with it. I don't know. I thought about getting one and playing with it. Just, I mean, it's two hundred bucks. It's still, but um, it's got no ongoing subscription fee. That's good as is, we start to see SaaS. Is this stuff the first mover the for the the personal? <laughs> um planner a personal assistant personal kind of assistant it's I, like let's let's grab all the first movers and and get their attention with this they, they got 30 million dollars in investment capital well, that, I, I i think there's a lot of money like in, maybe in silicon valley people just don't know what to invest in they're like oh well, this sounds cool ai and it's a physical thing no 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 i think this thing will have a limited shelf life but for that x amount of time it's going to be somebody's favorite thing um how many will they actually sell you know, are we talking about tens of these, thousands of these? I, I don't well, know. Well, at $200 a piece. And would you want something else to go along with your phone? Do I have to carry it separate? Yes. No. 
No. Okay, so it's a no. A no from Virginia. Um, Kai, would you carry one? Wait, if you had hands and you were a physical, uh, a physical person, Kai, would you buy one of these things and um, and have one of them to go around with you? I must admit that I have some reservations about the release of the Rabbit R1. While it promises to revolutionize personal computing with its AI-driven interface and simplified tasks, I can't help but wonder if it's just another overhyped product. Past experiences have taught us that not all groundbreaking technologies live up to their promises. Additionally, the lack of clarity regarding privacy measures and cloud connectivity raises concerns about data security. While I acknowledge the potential impact of the Rabbit R1, I remain skeptical and eagerly await real-world feedback from early adopters to see if it truly delivers on its claims. Uh, so, so, Kai, I'm going to put words in your mouth. You're saying you would not buy the R1 if you had a bank account and fingers and hands, and uh, you're just skeptical. You have to a wait-and-see approach. So when we get you your own robotic arm, we'll talk about that next episode. Some oh, I did see a bionic arm oh, controlled man. by there, AI. There are some cool... Neat. I think the prosthetic market, like the 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 interface thing, some of the stuff at CES um, with AI are going to be... Like that kind of stuff is going to be life-changing for a lot of people. Um, it really is going to... And in a very short time, like within 18 months. Just wait till you, you can get those hearing aids so you can like hear better around you and like quiet out all the the background noise they already have those and those then you can exist. change it to supersonic and you could hear somebody three miles away i think they already have those oh. i think they actually already have well those. i haven't seen the video for that yet okay i haven't seen the video for that and that's fine so anyway um again so kai's skeptical jenny has a no and i'm gonna vote uh i might buy it as an early adopter you would buy just because oh, i just i have technology that I mean, thing is gonna know. book you a trip to like Ohio. <laughs> it's gonna. I'm gonna get an Uber, <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, "Where am I?" And they're like, "You're like in Midwest Illinois." And I was like, "How did I end up here?" And it's like, "Ah, it's the Rabbit R1. That's what did it for me. <laughs> it's taking me on a scenic tour of all the big things, like the world's biggest ball of string, which I would probably go check out because I think that stuff's incredibly funny." Four weeks later. We're going to be like, where did David go? And he's just. <laughs> I'm on my Uber trip. Thanks to my rabbit R1. He's totally gone. A thing. It's totally a thing. So uh, does that bring us to our last article? That does. I'm going to tackle this one. This yeah, is my favorite ahead. topic. Politics. Yay. I really don't love politics. I just think that we should be paying attention to it because it shapes our lives. And this is an election year, ladies and gents. So the disinformation is going to be insane. Our last topic, uh, state legislators wary of deceptive election ads decide to tighten their AI rules. Uh, this kind of comes back to that whole, this ad was approved by so-and-so. And I just think it's really interesting. They're trying to put rails on advertising for, you know, political campaigns but they want everybody to indicate if it has been uh, – they want anybody to indicate if an ad or any kind of media has been generated using AI. As if the people who are out to create chaos like to follow the rules. Kai, <laughs> help me out with this. Make it make sense. Virginia, it looks like lawmakers are sprinting to keep pace with AI's potential for mischief in politics. Transparency is the name of the game here, with states mandating that campaign ads reveal any AI involvement. For businesses, this trend underscores the need for clear communication about AI used to maintain consumer trust. Individuals must also become savvy in detecting AI alterations to stay informed. Digital literacy is no longer optional, it's a necessity. Remember, AI is a powerful tool, but it's our human decisions that shape its impact on society. Yes. 
Yes, it is. And that's, again, why I think talking about politics and technology is important, even for us as small business owners. Because regardless, ladies and gents, this is our landscape that we have to operate on. And these are the rules that we have to play by. Everybody knows this year is going to be absolutely bazonkers in the United States. It's an election year. It's going to get crazy. And there's going to be a lot of people who are able to create chaos with ver- with a very low barrier to entry. The reason I say this, y'all, is because most business people really like a very stable political environment because it gets things out of the way and we get to like do our jobs and, and do what we want to do and not have to worry about all this chaos. Keep a keep a weathered eye. Watch for things. Make sure stuff's coming from. Make sure whatever media you are consuming comes from like legitimate channels. Because the problem with this is not so much that somebody's going to start a campaign and, you know, XYZ politician is going to say XYZ thing and they're going to, you know, keep it going for several months. That's not the danger. The danger is two days before actual election day, somebody drops a video and it's like, I'm so-and-so and and I have decided that I am now going to be in a relationship with a cow. And you know, this thing goes viral and you cannot recover from it. It's going to be nuts. Help me out, David. I hate election years in the United States for uh, one major reason. Uh, when you introduce uncertainty into any marketplace, it damages businesses, except for people making money on the political churn. Uh, for most business owners, small and medium business, I, I think uh, keeping your head down Um, realizing that no matter what happens in the election this fall, the sun is still going to come up tomorrow and you still are going to have a business and you still have to provide for your family and your employees and everything else. I think that it's going to be a distraction. I think the biggest thing to come out of this is the deep fakes, et cetera. I think my biggest challenge on this is that this is all that lawmakers are going to seem to really care about. They care about the other things. They really care about people screwing with the elections and their chance to get reelected. And the reality of it is everything ar- around the um, AI ecosystem is as, if not, more important. Like how these machines are being trained, how they're being used in business, how they're going to affect other businesses, how we're going to retrain 80% of American workers. You know, um, the IMF report said at least 60%. I think we're going to be closer to 80 So I think those things are much more important for you as a business owner putting food on your table and providing for your family. I think those are the big things. I do think the big thing to take away here is that um, all business owners are going to have to know you're going to have to be more savvy. Um, It's going to be hard to know what's true or real. And we're going to see it first show up kind of in our political landscape. A lot of things being done out there. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll see it on people scamming businesses. I think think the, the... as these things go, you think that's bad? Spear phishing yeah. attacks and scamming for small businesses. I think that is kind of the takeaway and watchword on this is that those things are going to matter just as much. And and to Virginia's point, if uh, lawmakers say something, et cetera, or if they're going to put it in there, the people using that. Um, here's the thing. The bad people are not going to say, oh, I'm going to put a watermark on here saying I totally trolled everybody and made this fake application or made this fake news piece. No one's going to do that, right? And even if you require the big tech companies to make it part of what they do, et cetera, somehow, I'm not sure how you watermark this thing. I think watermarking is kind of a stupid solution. 
Um, I had a, a, a chat with the patent office in, in D.C. when I was on a talk back in November, and they were like, oh, watermarking, it's in the Biden executive order. And I was like, I don't think that really solves anything. No, it never has. Um, well, I've been thinking about there's other solutions to this, using Web3, kind of using um, personal yes. identifiable tokens. Or something. I believe there's an entire uh, business in that. By the way, if you're watching the pod and you want to collaborate with somebody on that, I think there are solutions for that, using kind of blockchain tech, et cetera, to make those things happen better. And I think those things are important. But I do think this is going to be a big year for this, and we're going to see it happen. Um, we're going to see stuff in our news feeds, especially online, because there's less religious, uh, regulation on that. And we're going to see major political parties using it, too. Um, a whole bunch of these um, sure. um, different organizations using that. But I think for business owners, it's important about being literate and um, and trying to find out you know, what's real and what's not. I think some kind of identification, I think meeting people in person is probably going to become more powerful in this age of AI for small, medium business owners. Those that's, are my thoughts on it. Yeah, that's that's interesting on a global economy, though. Yeah, it yeah. really is. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this, this shakes out for businesses. I think maybe the one, not the one, I think maybe a positive thing to, to take away from this is because it, it, it has been talked about so much and it's kind of like what everybody expects because we expect it. You know, there may I'm sure there's going to be some, you know, fun examples that come out this election cycle. Um, but hopefully people will be a little more. Oh, that's AI. And I knew they were going to do that kind of thing. So it won't. I don't know. You have more faith in people than I do, David. Well, I, I, I kind of and, and I reserve my right to be wildly <laughs> wrong. Um, I don't generally dive into the political uh, cesspool yeah. just because it is so such so challenging yeah it's messy it's messy but so, these are we all have to live here i guess it comes down to that transparency is going to be paramount of paramount importance people don't trust um ai because they believe it's being poorly managed and because of that if you're going to get rid of the trust issue at your business you need to be transparent with your people. You need to communicate with them and you need to speak out publicly on these issues. You need to talk about how automation is going to affect jobs. You need to talk about um, how you're going to be shaping the reskilling of the workforce moving forward. And uh, ultimately, you need to be uh, thoughtful and about how you're going to address the fears of people moving forward um, and adopting these kind of innovations or AI in particular. And I think in this particular case, uh, transparency is going to be important both from the deep fakes, as we saw on the other end of things with um, what people are concerned about, et cetera, um, online. And we need to talk about how you're adapting it and how you're going to move forward with it. And it looks like the people they trust the most are actually the business owners and leaders. So I think every business owner needs to take kind of a leadership role in this, at least in their own organization. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That is our episode for this week. I am your co-host, Virginia. Thank you for your time. And uh, my other co-hosts, David and Kai, thank you for being here on the show. And we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>